1: Well, the digital out-of-home boom is sparking new conundrums for advertisers and agencies. What is more effective, static formats or digital? Neuroscience has some answers for that which we're about to unpack. But beyond that intriguing debate, what does accountability look like for campaigns that do run on these white-hot digital out-of-home screen networks? The out of home market collectively has landed on a 60% guarantee threshold for share of time on ads running where they have been booked within each hour. But QMS, which is about two months away from opening its books beyond its eight launch partners for its City of City contract, has staked its credentials on a 100% guarantee. So we're going to hear what the hell that means and if it really matters. On the mics today is QMS CEO John O'Neill, who's also an OMA board member, and Chief Strategy Officer Christian Zavik who's also an OMA Futures Council member. So welcome, gents. Let's start with this big question, shall we, that's sort of increasingly been asked by advertisers in the market at large. Digital or static, what's better? I think both of you have some pretty clear views on this. So, John, we'll start with you first. Digital or static, where's the balance and the weighting going on this in this discussion? It's quite interesting, I think.
2: Yeah, look, it certainly is, Paul, and uh, and thanks for having us on. Look, I, th- I think at the end of the day, if we consider static billboards as the caterpillar, we consider digital as the butterfly. So we're certainly in a position now where um, outstanding assets, flexibility, more levels of accountability, clever targeting and, and much more efficient targeting, which is all provided via sort of the the whole new digital platform is is a really exciting time for our industry. So I think across the board, we're, we're really transforming into a whole new communication piece. So sort of from a digital aspect, the market's grown significantly over the last three to five years. Um, you know, it's up close from a market perspective to sort of 60%, 65%. And, and at QMS, sort of we're, we're pointing towards 95 So we're certainly preparing for the future because we think it's the way.
1: It is the way, and I guess this this question. I had a conversation with someone a few weeks back in and around sort of static and digital. So there's some neuroscience that's sort of been working on by the industry, but in this great discussion of is static any worse or better than digital? Where is the leading? What's the data showing? What's the science showing so far on this, John?
2: Well, look, I mean, it's something that we've had to do, Paul. I mean, as an industry, the investment has been so significant in digital, so we've had to go to a lot of different sort of sources to try to come up with you know, the answers. We need to be more accountable for clients. So it's pretty clear that all of the data we've gotten, certainly through the neuroscience data, and Christian can probably give you some some actual facts around that percentage-wise, but it's a much, much more effective medium that provides so many more different opportunities to an array of clients than what Static does. So Zav,
0: you, you might want to go on to those points? I think it's definitely been something that is important, not only for clients to so understand, but also ourselves, is you know, is looking beyond just the eyeball and particularly with digital, because it does so much more for clients and it can play such a broader role in terms of the communications funnel. It's important for us to actually understand what that extra impact is. And the industry study, which was the largest of its kind, showed that there was a 63% higher neuro impact factor, which basically measures things like memory encoding and emotional intensity. And it was 63% higher for digital versus static, which is quite significant. You know, in another industry first, they were able to use that neuro impact factor and apply that to the new measurement system being moved 1.5. So finally we're getting to understand not only the volumes in terms of reach and frequency delivery by format, but we can also understand the relative neuro impact factor
1: as well. I think you said 64%, Christian is 63. that 63. Oh yeah, I wouldn't want to exaggerate too much there. Sorry, gents, but 63%. Do we know why? 63%. I mean, what is it about digital that's landing, you know, in terms of better memory structures, mental availability, recall, and so forth? What's going on there in the digital formats?
0: Well, look, that study purely was basically replicating a traditional journey that a consumer might do. So it really only takes into account the the greater vibrancy and attraction that digital has over static, as well as the movement or transitioning between clients. But there is much more to digital beyond those factors, and we've also mm. done our own studies, which aim to look at the role or the the possibilities with creative and evolving creative over a period of time versus static, where you don't have that um, flexibility or ability to change the message. And
1: so, just refreshing creative has an impact because it's new and not the same message for a week or whatever it might be. Is that the point there?
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, we're all creatures of habit. We all have, you know, our same ways that we travel to and from work or to and from picking the kids up from school. And what we really found was just slight changes to creative. They don't have to be significant, but over a five-day period um, on average, creatives that evolved versus static creatives that stayed the same, there was an an additional 38% increase just over those
1: five days. So, Christian, what else is cooking in the QMS pot? Because I think you've got a few other initiatives coming in around metrics measurement and attention, I think. Is that right?
0: Uh, Yes, yeah, that's correct, Paul. Um, We're extremely excited to partner with Amplified Intelligence to conduct the world's first out-of-home attention study and, yeah, looking at how that can now start to play a role. It's an amazing new initiative in market that's been embraced by clients. Mm. It provides a tradable metric that can go cross-channel, And again, it it really enforces the effectiveness and looking beyond just a blunt CPM or a blunt traditional CPM.
1: So we'll benchmark attention levels to out-of-home formats. That's the idea versus other media, right? It'll give you a sense on where attention from people are at.
0: Yeah, exactly, Paul. It's another layer and a, and a much deeper understanding of audience um, that clients will start to have. And importantly, because it has been available in other channels like digital, like television, we can now start to benchmark and showcase the power of out of home in, in comparison to other media channels.
1: It's really interesting. So, when are you doing that?
0: The feasibility study is taking place in July. Right. We expect to have results sort of later
1: in the year. It'll be fascinating. To both of you, you, know when we're talking about sort of static versus digital, where do you think the market's understanding is at around the efficacy of digital formats versus static? And, and is the market sort of by and large on the digital side or where is the understanding there both from an advertiser's perspective and media agencies? Because sometimes media agencies will be a little ahead of the curve with their understanding of what's going on.
2: Yeah, look, I think from an agency perspective and even from a client perspective, any way that you can communicate in a a more effective way has got to be more beneficial for clients. So whether it's cost efficiencies, whether it's clearer cut through from creative use. So I would say that the education process is well and truly underway. And, And I think it's fair to say that over the last sort of 10 or 15 years, a number of clients have chosen not to use out of home for various reasons. And Probably those reasons were levels of accountability and really understanding audience and do they get banged for their buck and how is it measured? So I think with the amount of funds that have been injected from all of the suppliers, we've had to dig really deep to try to be as transparent and as accountable as we can. So I think agencies and clients are certainly swinging to digital because they're understanding and starting to understand the platforms more. But there's a hell of a lot of work to do, Paul, and we'll continue to do that as the industry will as we move from move 1.5 into move 2.0 and as we continue to find more studies that are sort of targeted towards the benefits of client spend.
1: Before I get to some of these other dimensions you talked about then, John, just for the audience who may not be up to speed, this transition from move 1.5 to 2.0, what does that mean for those of us that are not deep in the weeds on this? Christian, you might want to talk to that.
0: Move 1.5 is really a sort of a a transition platform. Move 2.0 will be the gold standard. It's already been recognized in terms of um, its architecture as, you know, as world's best practice. But, you know, that's not going to be delivered until early 2024. And, you know, within that period, clients really needed to understand their digital audiences in a lot greater detail. The first Move system was created over 10 years ago and, and was amazing in in what it was able to do at the time, but it didn't allow for digital audiences. So what Move 1.5 does is basically take those volumes and apply a digital factor so that you can actually understand what your digital reach and frequency is on a campaign level. The difference with Move 2.0 is it's going to be a lot more accurate. The actual traffic volumes will be different. They will be seasonal. They'll be uh, using multiple layers of, of data And you'll be able to understand on an individual site level the digital audience for a particular site.
1: Right. Okay. So that's a big move when it comes. So until then, though, you know, QMS has been doing some things in this transition as well. And you've got some interesting sort of points of difference in how you're going to market versus the broader industry. Maybe talk through that a little bit, particularly around just maybe explain this new 60% guarantee that the market at large is, is agreed to and what QMS is doing and why that's important.
2: So, look, Paul, again, the whole process for the out-of-home industry to get to where we all want it to get to and for clients to clearly understand the benefits and the measurement aspect of it is to make sure that all third-party data is 100% verified. So that the clients, again, all, all we're trying to do is build a greater level of education and a greater level of confidence that so clients know where they're spending their money and they're getting bang for their buck. And as Christian highlighted earlier, whether that's changing creative, being more relevant in different environments, it just provides a, a fantastic platform for clients once they understand. The biggest concern, you know, from an industry perspective is if we continue to go there, we just cannot afford to compromise audience delivery hourly. We can't afford to do it. So, across the board, the industry has decided, and certainly the market generally has decided that the verification piece um, will be applicable as we've now gone to share of time.
1: This is in digital formats, yeah, right? In digital share of time formats, in terms absolutely. of this rotation.
2: Yeah, yeah. So the industry will verify sixty percent of the advertising campaign per hour. So they're guaranteed to stand by that, which effectively means. You may get more than 60% in the hour, but from a digital measurement and a third-party verification perspective, a decision's been made that only 60% will be verified, which may well mean that they'll make up the guaranteed plays over the course of the day, but it may be put into different hours throughout the day. Well, from our perspective, you know, we've gone out on a limb. We've had to readjust, you know, the way that we sell versus the market. So we are a little bit different. So you'll see um, in our instance that we verify 100 percent of the advertising exposure in every hour. And we think it's really important. you know we're setting up a, as you know, a, an amazing platform um, that we're really honored, and it's a huge responsibility for us with the city of Sydney. You know it's over 100 million dollars worth of investment, and there's so many exciting things going on that if we are going to stand by this new asset and the platforms and the data, we feel it is absolutely imperative that we can guarantee clients their exposure exactly when they paid for their exposure.
1: And that's across your entire digital network, is it all screens?
2: That's correct, yeah. Mm. So we do it across all of our assets from large format around the country to our retail-based assets, our street furniture assets on the Gold Coast and obviously the City of Sydney. But it is a significant point of difference, and it's probably something that um, across the industry people don't know. You're talking about education. Now, it's something that we're, we're pushing really hard on and we'll continue to do that.
1: Well, it's a 40 points difference, John. And I guess the question for me is, so why is the industry landed on 60 if QMS can get to 100? Why is 60 the benchmark at this point? And is that a figure that will change over time? Will that guarantee increase at a market level?
2: Well, look, I think that'll be a client sort of demand scenario and an agency demand scenario, I suppose. You know, there are a number of challenges across a lot of the formats around the country and, you know, in some instances there is, you know, various levels of data and commitments on signs that, um, you know, in retail environments maybe some of the retailers get access to some of the signs. So so the scenario is that it was sort of, it was decided in conjunction with the Outdoor Futures Council that, um, you know, 60% as long as they got the guaranteed plays over the course of the day, 60% is what they would verify. We've just sort of gone out on a limb ourselves because we think, you know, if we're going to play the full transparent game, which we need to with the amount of investment we've got, that we'll, we'll adjust to make sure that we do 100, Paul.
1: Now, Christian, your take on why QMS is going with this 100% versus the 60 for the industry, what's the advantage or what's the benefit here?
0: The main reason is we don't want to compromise our our clients' audience delivery, and that's what can happen when you have lower levels of share of time in one hour and then higher levels at another hour that may not be as busy from an audience perspective. So at the end of the day, it's all about being transparent with our clients and and making sure that their campaigns work.
1: All of this, the transparency position that QMS is taking, the broader move to digital out-of-home networks. There is new opportunities here for growth with new advertisers new categories right John and Christian what who and what is going to be in on the digital out of home network who and what will be coming into you know these formats these digital formats that may not have been there in a static context I think
2: one thing we have seen Paul is you know with the pandemic hitting pretty badly over the last couple of years that the federal government chose to use our digital platforms pretty widely, as did the state governments, and they haven't been huge users, certainly the federal government, of large format assets previously. So now having a digital opportunity to serve ads in different environments with different messages in different states at different times, we certainly see um, the government with a variety of messages that they need to put out supporting mental health and a variety of other things as being quite big spenders. We'll continue to see the retail category grow, I think. Again, it's been a real challenge because we haven't been able to put up price points short term and and change, you know, different messages subject to different weather conditions and stuff like that. So, I think you'll find there'll be really big growth in that retail and entertainment area, government, and I think just generally as clients gain more confidence, and I talk about even clients that have been small investors in our industry over the years, and they understand that it's basically, you know, a really flexible, tailored, measurable, targeted, third-party guaranteed position that you've got a platform that you can serve different ads at different times, to serve different messages. So I think the industry is in a really good position, Paul, because as we educate clients more and they gain more confidence, I think it'll be a variety and I think it'll be a really strong spread across all categories.
1: So Christian, just on that, what sort of advertisers and agencies, what's the work that you're seeing that is an example of it being done well and utilising the digital networks in this kind of very real-time scenario, I guess?
0: Oh, look, there are a number of clients um, and ones that sort of fall, particularly in the retail category, that are, that are using it very smartly and, and basically treating it as part of their omni-channel strategy. So what we're seeing is that it's working a lot closer with other digital media and proving right. successful for these clients. I mean, we might be able to go, Paul, and sort of say that, you know, the the, the traditional
2: communication pieces of catalogue still exist, but you've now got a digital catalogue that you can broadcast messages in environments, and we're seeing JB Hi-Fi and Woolworths and Coles and Meyer and a number of other big sort of retail players wanting to use the medium to communicate. So though millions and millions of dollars have been spent in catalogues over a long period of time, we're now seeing that some of those clients um, are really eager to try to explore different ways to communicate in a much more sort of active and interactive environment.
1: Mm, that's interesting. So they're actually pulling parts of the catalogue out and just basically putting halos around some of the offers in formats and out-of-home formats.
2: Yeah, and that's definitely happening. And, and as we've seen over the years, catalogues have played a, a significant role in selling brands and communicating, you know, to audiences consistently. But as I say, you're now in a position where, you know, if it gets above 30 degrees, you probably don't want to put soup so, you know, you, you're in a position where you probably want to be targeting brands that are more relevant, whether it be ice cream or whether it be other products, fresh fruit, things like that. And, and you know, we've, mm. we've seen it with Dan Murphy. They, they do a really good job in that, you know, if it becomes cold, they flick it to red wine. If it's, if it's hot, it's white wine or champagne. If it's a celebration because someone's won a, a major sporting event or there's a Father's Day event or there's a Mother's Day event there's a stack of targeting. And as I said, the digital platform now allows us to be able to do that really effectively.
1: Really interesting. I'd like to see you know, what target would go for kale juice, John. It's probably not me or you, but nevertheless, it'd be an interesting target. We're going to get to the um, City of Sydney update in a second, but we had some stories out this week talking about the ad market more broadly and, and a general sense that growth has peaked, not that it necessarily will be in decline, but the growth has peaked for the overall ad market, although some of the forecasts from, I think it was Magna and Group M talking about how radio and out of home have still got um, a lot of upside to it. Just interested in your sense on where the ad market's at now. And obviously, we've got very rapidly changing economic conditions. What's your sense on what the second half, December half is looking like, John, and into next year?
2: Yeah, well, I've been certainly looking into the second half, things seem to be um, sort of really positive with us, and I can only speak from us. I know that sort of our briefing levels are really high. Obviously we've got a lot of excitement around City of Sydney and it's a brand new asset for right. us. But you know, I think the whole scenario is clients need to protect their brand image. They need to make sure that they're spending cost effectively and they're communicating the best way they can, getting cut through and, and basically getting getting the best result and bang for their buck. So I think outer home's got a huge role to play there. And it may well mean that we'll pick up revenue from other categories, but I think as clients gain more confidence in in all of the things that we've been talking about, Paul, and whether that be third-party verification or better transparency around their spends or really understanding the platforms and the unique way that we can serve ads quickly, I think you'll find that the out-of-home industry will continue to um, to grow in scale from a revenue perspective because there's so many great things happening in the environment.
1: Mm. So City of Sydney, it's coming, you're opening up the inventory and the network to the market beyond your top eight, as we mentioned, or your early eight partners, as we mentioned. Maybe just flick through a couple of those early partners, who they were and what happens and when the book's open to the rest of the market. How's the interest
2: Oh, look, it's been terrific. And look, it's been frustrating, Paul. You know, we've had such bad weather. I'm in Melbourne today and it's starting to rain here now. So um, it's been terrible, you know, just just the delays and the COVID sort of delays. But we're well and truly on track now. The clients and the launch partners from Stan to Diageo and obviously LVMH, Southern Cross Austereo, American Express, Optus, Uber, Paramount Global. So We've got amazing partners and, you know, now now we're into the transactional selling process from August 29. We've got a lot of interest from luxury retail and from the banking and from uh, just from a variety of clients. So our team are, uh, are really operational in the market now. I think the best thing is, Paul, that, you know, we've started to roll a lot of these new digital panels out on the streets. So we're getting terrific feedback from our clients and as I said earlier, you know, it's a huge responsibility and a and just a fantastic honour for us to even have the asset. To be honest, you know, we've been um, Christian and I've been in the out of home industry a long time. I've certainly been in it, you know, twenty eight or twenty nine years. And it's the jewel in the crown that asset. And as mm. I said, we're now going to roll out a, a, a quite a unique digital platform with great data behind it, really great quality, targeted panel placement, and um, we really look forward to a positive. Um, sort of communication piece with our clients um, and delivering real results for them, which which will be great.
1: Just very quickly with your launch partners, John or Christian, is the the sort of creative treatments have they been trialing anything new and different or is it just getting some messages out there on uh, to date with what they've been working on?
2: There's been a strong combination of that stuff. So obviously Stan try to keep things fresh because they've got um, you know, different program sets lots of content. Yeah. yeah, lots of content. And I think even with the content, they understand their audiences very well. So they're serving sort of different messages at different times, which is really pleasing. Certainly yeah, right. around the around the retail categories, you know, there's different launch periods and different brands and stuff. So again, that keeps things really fresh and there'll be sort of special retail announcements around promotions and sales and stuff, which is really good. American Express um, were big supporters of Mardi Gras. So they did some terrific right. creative that sort of won awards and stuff around that. And so, look, and, you know, the Uber scenario, again, is keeping messages fresh, changing context and brands and stuff. So Paramount Global the same. They've got, they've got a lot of content. So we're seeing um, certainly our launch partners using the the platforms in a really exciting and unique way, and I think it sort of it'll stand them in great stead moving forward with with their communication.
1: So when do you sell out?
2: Well, we hope pretty soon it'll be good. <laughs> you no, know, we hope pretty yeah, – know, look, as I said, there's a stack of interest. August 29 is our sort of start of transactional um, sort of delivery for clients, and, and I can say the interest levels are really, really high. We're very privileged, mate, to be able to sell this asset.
1: Really interesting developments there, Christian and John, and I guess the City of Sydney one's the big one to watch, and we will uh, keep our eye on that one, as well as the attention – and the efficacy and the guarantees. Lots of stuff to cook. Um, It'll be interesting to, to catch up in a few months and see how that's all tracking. Thanks for joining, gents. Thanks, Thanks mate.
2: Look forward to seeing you in the metaverse next time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer, Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.